Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Patriots Report. My name is Christopher Price, the Boston Globe. I'm very happy to be joined today by John Rook, the longtime voice of the Patriots at Gillette Stadium. He's also the radio play-by-play man for Providence College basketball. He's a good guy. I've known him for a long time, and I'm honored that he took the time to join me today. Thanks for your time, John. I really appreciate you doing this. You make me sound like I'm I'm way past my prime on that one. <laughs> Love it, man. No, no, no. This this is awesome. I'm, I'm really honored that you that you're taking the time to 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 join us here today. I want to start off with a quick question. I ask just about everyone right out of the gate here on the Patriots Report. What's your early take? Although I you know not so early now. Yeah. Uh, but what's your early take on the play of Mac Jones so far? Well, I'm impressed like everybody else, Chris. Uh, I mean, I wasn't sure what to think, because I'll be honest, you know, before the season got started, I was one of those that supported, you know, Cam Newton's return because I thought it would might put the Patriots in a better position to be successful, at least right away, bringing him along a little bit more. But it's pretty clear to see that he's got a lot of the intangibles that we just couldn't really spot early on. And so once he was given the reins, then, you know, hey, let's let him go and let's see what he can do. The one thing that disappoints me the most now, I guess, is kind of like a lot of others, uh, you know, feel the same way is that I'd really kind of like to see the shackles come off of him now, because mm-hmm. look, if you're going to really see what you have at quarterback, I don't think you need to put any limitations on his ability to get the ball down the field. I, the only thing I can surmise is the reason that hasn't happened is because the way the offensive line is performing, they're scared to death of getting the guy killed back there. So that may have something to do with it. In fact, that may have a lot to do with it right now. But I'm very impressed with what I've seen thus far. I do think the Patriots are in pretty good hands with the, the quarterback slot for the foreseeable future. It's interesting you talked about Cam and, and the choice between Mac and Cam and, and how all that was you know kind of you know chewed over really at the start of the season. I, I have a feeling that this decision was made more specific to Mac and Cam was made more about the 2022 season and 2023 season. Because I think really, once you come down to wins and losses at the end of the year, this team is not going to be too dramatically different than the one that maybe Cam would, would, would have run if, 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 you had the, if you had them, if you had him here as your quarterback. And so I'm, I'm just curious about your thoughts on the idea of Mac and his potential growth as opposed to another year of Cam and, say, a 500 team. Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that when they went into all these, you know, free agent signings, especially in the offseason, which so many people seem to be panning now, but I think they went into this as a multi-year project. And so I think we kind of lose sight of that. I've lost sight of that. I mean, most of these guys that they signed on heavy deals, at least the ones they really wanted, are multiple years. So mm-hmm. guys like Judon are coming back. And, and I think that they looked at this as a multi-year project, which is why they ultimately decided to pull the trigger on Mac over Cam, because they're like, look, if we're already into this for a couple of years anyway, let's go ahead and let him start his learning curve now with everybody else, as opposed to then bringing him in as a quote-unquote raw rookie when everybody else has already been in the system for a year. Makes sense so, to have everybody how do you do, grow it, up together. You 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 bring up a really good point talking about taking the shackles off him at this point in his career, versus the state of the offensive line. How do you marry the two of those ideas? How do you bring those two together? Do you do you 
I, I don't know, figure out some sort of plan in terms of taking limited shots downfield. I, I'm curious as to how that will all shake out. I, I know Josh McDaniels has talked about it on multiple occasions over the course of the last two weeks. Bill has talked, Bill's been asked about it multiple times over the course of the last two weeks. How do you make that happen behind an offensive line that's still, you know, a, a bit piecemeal, at least at this point in the season? I don't think you can. And I think that's part of the problem that everybody's experiencing right now. There's a lot of frustration going on here because it's clear to see that this offensive line is not performing the way that it was originally to, ha, expected to perform. And and I, I refuse to believe that the absence of one guy, Trent Brown being that guy after only one play of one series of the first game is really meaning that much of a difference in the rest of the line. So I, I think they're frustrated because they don't really, and they can't can't really do what they want to do, even though they've taken a couple of shots here and there. I, I just, I, I don't see it. So I, I think the only thing they can do right now is to sort of manage the game for him, give him his opportunities whenever they come. Uh, I would tell you that, look, I mean, it, it probably is, it's probably very anti-Belichickian in this regard, but I, I listen, uh, with this team at two and four right now, they're obviously not very, I mean, it's not a stretch to see this team having won four or even five games at this point, mm -hmm. but they just haven't been able to be disciplined enough. They're still making enough mistakes. Some of that is underperformance. There's a lot of different factors going into it. And of course, Bill Parcells once said, you are what your record is. So I, I you know, they are a two and four team. I just sense that, you know, there are probably a few more chances they should take in terms of some of the play calls, because how else are you going to know what you really have unless you sort of play with it? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, for instance, the, the, the fourth down call against the Cowboys or, or maybe even, you know, the one there in overtime when they had to punt and give it away when everybody knew that the Cowboys were going to score because the Patriots defense was just dog-ass tired. I mean, mm -hmm. there was no way they were going to stop the Cowboys in that regard. And Bill had to know that. And I think that's what is disappointing more than anything else. What I think is, is that some of these guys, and, 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 and I kind of wrote about it and talked about it earlier this week as well, but, you know, for all the success that Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels have had, this team is not like any other that they've ever had. Mm -hmm. They've got to develop this team differently. And that's going to mean, yeah, you're probably going to have to be a little more conservative than you want to be at certain times. But then there are going to be times when you have to have you know, uh, that, that certain riverboat gambler type of attitude. You're going to have to roll the dice and see what you get because you got to know who you can depend on. You got to know, you know, for foreseeable, you know, for the foreseeable future, who can perform in crunch time. And again, if this year is already sort of considered a growth year, as I stated earlier, then why not take a chance on some of these stabs downfield or some of these personnel groupings that you're going with because you're not really expecting much out of this year already anyway. That's why it doesn't really make sense. Some of the some of the reins that we've seen, you know, holding them back in. I'm like, dude, let it fly. This is what we need to see. I, I'm, I'm glad you bring up the quote from Bill Parcells. You are what your record says you are. And you talked about, you know, we, we, we discussed a little bit earlier the idea of the, the three close losses Tampa Bay, Miami, and now the overtime defeat to the Cowboys. Where do you come down on the idea of close losses as character building yeah. exercises, especially with a team like this, as we mentioned before, a team that's in transition, a team that, you know, could ultimately maybe benefit from situations like this, or is this just a situation of, look, it's Foxborough. We don't do moral victories. We're two and four and we got to figure our way out of this. I think close losses can benefit anybody, no matter who you are. It's just that, you know, the Patriots are not used to having 
moral victories in any stretch because they're usually the ones forcing the moral victory on the opponent. So I think it's, it's something new for everyone around these parts to have to deal with. Uh, but I definitely think there's good that can come out of close losses. Uh, certainly uh, teaching lessons, if anything else, right? Learning lessons, experience, there's all good. But, I mean, nobody wants to say, well, moral victories don't count for anything. Athletes won't say that. Coaches won't say that. Fans around here won't say that because they're all used to winning already. Mm-hmm. So they've seen the other side. But if you look at it in a practical sense, absolutely. Can a guy like Mac Jones learn? Can a guy who's new to New England learn? You know, Judon being one of those guys? Sure. Some of the younger players who are actually seeing some time, you know, early this year, they can all learn from, uh, uh, from I, I don't know that I really want to call them moral victories. What I would call them is just basically learning experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, I think you can gain from them. But you're right. The, the bottom line is you still lost the game. I just think it really depends upon the individual, whether or not you gain anything from a, from a close loss or not. And, you know, can the individual involved use that as a teaching lesson or as a learning lesson? Or do they, you know, let that mistake happen to them again? That's usually what has separated, you know, the, the, the wheat from the chaff in New England. These players have usually gotten it, you know, these lessons pretty quickly. So we're getting ready to find out if that's the case potentially in the future with the guys on this team. One of the things that, that I've asked a couple other people over the course of the last couple of weeks and something that struck me, at least from the outside right now, and I'd be interested to get your take on this. This is a way too early broad brush statement, but I, I want to get to your, 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 your feeling on this idea that with Dante Hightower and Devin McCourty getting a little bit older, been around the league for a few years, yeah. this defense looks like it's starting to transition a little bit to a Matthew Judon defense. A guy who yeah. has really he's come in here, he has looked like a guy who has played here for many years. He has managed to make a seamless transition into the Bill Belichick system, into the, you know, the Patriots defensive system. Where do you stand on the idea of Judon as a potential bridge guy to the next generation, a guy who takes over, who really strikes me as a type of guy who is in that same lineage as McCourty, Hightower, you know, going all the way back to Brewski and Harrison, a guy who just who who just who came in here and just fit immediately and has taken really, to my mind, a, a really started acting like a leader in 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 the best possible sense. He is that leader. I mean, I, I know when uh, the word first got out that he was, a, uh, you know, a possibility to sign here. I, I thought back then that that potentially could be the best uh, steal, really, of the entire, you know, free agent offseason because of what he was in Baltimore just a couple of years ago. And you're talking about a guy that was even franchised in Baltimore. So I, I, would, I just found, like, how, how he could fall out of grace in Baltimore after only one relative subpar year, which was, you know, COVID-laden for everybody. Mm-hmm. I thought the whole thing was amazing. So when I heard that Judon was, you know, signed and coming for a couple of years, then to me, I thought that had the potential to be really a foundational piece for New England. And I think we're already seeing that he may be the best athlete that team has, certainly on the defensive side of the ball, since, you know, there is no more Steph Gilmore in the secondary than, um, you know, he's a playmaker. And that's exactly what this team needed a year ago. They needed guys on defense to make plays to get the defense off the field. 
We've seen now over the course of the last couple of weeks that the Patriots defense is still sorely lacking in playmakers. And so for them to, you know, basically give up on Gilmore for whatever reason they gave up for, they didn't want to pay him, didn't think he was healthy, didn't think he was going to resign, whatever reason, bad mistake. Because you still had him under contract for this year, whether he wanted to play or not. He needed you more than you need you know you needed him and so mm-hmm. he had to come and play because he had to create some kind of a track record for himself to my way of thinking before he could go out and sign a free agent deal with somebody else next year so if you're only going to have him for six or seven or eight or ten games whatever you were going to have him for then make him play you needed somebody to make plays and they clearly are lacking that right now so what they're going to have to do now is they're going to have to see if they can't figure out a way to throw in another playmaker or two around him mm-hmm. and try to build this this defense a step further next year because what they have thus far is not enough to get the job done. Trade deadline is coming up November 2nd, I believe it is. You have two games between now and then. Patriots hitting mm-hmm. at two and four. This is a dicey situation, kind of on the fence right now. You find a way to win both of them, you're back to four and four. And you could think mm-hmm. about maybe being a buyer and starting to look at the second half of the season optimistically. You split, that's three and five. You lose, you're two and six. To my mind, these next two games will ultimately decide if this team will be a buyer or a seller at the deadline. If if they are, what, what direction do you think they're going to go? And if they end up being a buyer, where are they headed? Offensive line, running back, give me one or two positions in your mind they would need to target before the trade deadline if they want to get to where they ultimately want to be. <laughs> Can I tell you I miss Sony Michelle? that's a great point and and that's something that's something that i've talked about that's something we've talked about on this podcast before that all of a sudden you know you're you're awful thin in an area where you were pretty deep at the start of the season yeah yeah you you can never be deep enough and so that's one you know when they traded him away i said okay i get why they're trading him away but what are they getting him for? You know, a sack of donuts? I mean, come on. Uh, at some point in time, attrition is going to set in. And sure enough, it has. And then when you add, you know, the the sudden fumbleitis that, you know, both Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson have come up with, I mean, it, it makes Sony look that much better uh, overall. Now, clearly, you know, uh, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, as we all know. But I think that's one of the areas that if I, – I, and I find it – far-fetched that the Patriots would be sellers. I don't think the Patriots will ever be in a position to be sellers. Mm -hmm. I'll be stunned if that ever happens. Mm -hmm. So I think they're only going to look to potentially enhance what they already have, again, with an eye toward 2022, which is what I think this year was all about anyway. This was a bridge year more than anything else. And so if you're really doing that, trying to stay competitive and stay on the hunt this year, but really looking toward 2022, you have to include running back in there because that depth still needs to continue to improve. And you have to include offensive line mm-hmm. because who do you depend upon? There's it's no way. Yeah, you, 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 you really know, can at this point. Yeah. yeah, maybe maybe David Andrews, but I'm not sure who you gave up on your best offensive lineman a year ago when you let Joe Tooney sign somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So now you've got to do uh, you've got to do a better job of making sure that you have quality depth at that position. And I think it's pretty clear to see that not only does that quality depth not exist, but they don't have the right chemistry out there. I mean, I would favor Ted Karras being out there in a full time role because Karras has had to do that here before when he had to step in for Andrews a couple of years ago. So I'm not sure they have the right personnel groupings out there. And this is why I've kind of looked at some of the moves they've made really kind of quizzically. And I, and, and 
I mean, I'm wondering, look, are they really doing what is in the best interest of the players they have on this roster right now? I think they're operating as if they were 2013, 2014. Same yeah. mindset that they had five or six years ago when this team is nowhere near what they had that time ago. You have got to learn to adapt to your personnel. And I think that's where this Patriots coaching staff, young and largely inexperienced as it is outside of Bill and outside of Josh, that's where they are. They're not adapting to the personnel they have. It's interesting that we, we talk a little bit about the trade deadline and, and how this is not your old Patriots team, the 2013-2014 Patriots team, that is one piece away. You remember, like, yeah. in, I think it was 2012 yeah. when they traded for Aqib Tlaib. You know, yeah. that, th that sort of move made you feel like, okay, look, they're one piece away. This is the guy they went out and got. This yeah. roster doesn't feel like it's one piece away. It feels like it's multiple pieces away. You know, you can't go out and get like you did a couple of years ago, Kyle Van Noy and say, Oh, mm -hmm. that's a perfect move. Slot him in right there. The defense is going to go from here to here. This feels more like a year long process. And maybe you can get a guy. Now you can buy low on a guy and he can help you out in 2022, whatever, you know, and maybe I'm just, you know, being optimistic here, but it is, it's fascinating to see, how the whole thing is kind of shaking out and, and how the trade deadline is shaking out. I, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this weekend and whether or not this weekend we are going to see the Patriots' first home win of the season. Well, if they don't, then you might as well pack it up for 2022 <laughs> with the Jets. But you know what? When you said, you know, this team doesn't feel like it's one piece away, I would argue that it was closer to being one piece away had you kept or find a way to keep Michelle and found a way to keep Steph Gilmore. Yeah. If you yeah, had no, those no, that's guys, a great point. if you had those guys still in their positions, then I think you could rightfully say, man, we're like an offensive lineman away from really cooking here, or we're like a, a significant receiver away from cooking here. I mean, I think we all saw, you know, this last week that Nelson Aguilar ain't that guy. He's just not. You know, he's still got, you know, the dropsies that marked his career in Philly and, and the other places that he's been overall. I mean, he, he seemed like a really, you know, good guy, decent to talk to, uh, you know, uh, certainly capable enough. He's got talent, but he just, you know, this Patriot team has been very unpatriot-like and been able to hold on to the ball. And Bill has, you know, put various guys in the doghouse at various times to the point where he's got three or four guys in the doghouse all at once and somebody's got to play. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you, you, you're, you're almost you, you've, you've almost turned to, you know, Stevenson more out of necessity than anything else. I, I thought that he was yeah, I thought that what he, happened last. That's what happened last week. They didn't have anybody else. Yeah, they yeah. had to go to Stevenson. So you're, you're stuck with these guys. And so, you know, you've basically exacerbated your own issues is what you've done, which is why, to me, the coaching has been a little bit of a surprising point this year overall. And then as far as this week's game is concerned, Chris, your original point, I, I look. You got to beat the Jets. You have to beat the Jets. There's just no if, and, or but about it. You don't beat the Jets, then I, I would I would tear it all down and I would sell what I could off of the trade deadline and 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 totally begin for 2022 now. If you can't beat the Jets this weekend, it is going to be an interesting game, though. I I, I want to see where you know Zach Wilson is, and and I want to see where they are in their in their overall development. You know, if they're better than they were a few weeks ago when the Patriots went down to MetLife Stadium. If you know, yeah. it, you you never want to say that 
you're looking at the Jets as a measuring stick game, but I think it's a good way to kind of take the temperature of New England and to see mm-hmm. if they can bounce back, to see if, first of all, they can get off that home schneid, you know, and, and, and get a victory, but also to be able to maybe get some momentum going toward November, and then you start to feel better about yourself. And then, okay, you know, these guys are getting healthy. We're, you know, Mac Jones got a few more snaps under his belt. You want to be able to, I'm not a big believer in momentum, but a win over the Jets could theoretically kind of, start the whole thing moving in the right direction you would hope yeah yeah I, I i would certainly agree with that and and i mean you know the buffalo bills you know did us all a favor by you know dropping one you know to, to tennessee this weekend and so if the patriots win i mean you know right now they're only a couple of games behind uh you know if they can win and get back to 500 then you've got you know uh, you got something to play for the latter part of the season. I think that's what everybody wants. Just an opportunity, you know, to play for, you know, being in the, in the postseason tournament, so to speak. And, and anything you can get this year is still gravy. Again, if indeed your original premise is to take at least a multi-year outlook at, at trying to build and develop this team into getting it back into being a, uh, you know, a contender in the AFC, which is truly what I think they're doing. I just would like to see overall um, a let's, you know, first of all, Go week to week. I mean, our tendency here, because of what you know has happened over the last 20 years, our tendency here is to look at big picture. Mm-hmm. Our tendency is to look down the line. Our tendency is to look at, oh, well, you know, in six weeks when we have our off week or in six weeks when we have the playoffs or whatever. We can't afford to do that. This is not the team to do that with. Mm-hmm. So I literally believe you have to take it one step at a time, one game at a time, one snap at a time. It's very cliche-ish. It's very trite. And the coaches say it, the players say it all the time, but it really is true. And then take the small victories when you get them. And so if you can get one over the Jets this weekend, no matter how difficult it might be, look, it's been 30 years since they've lost four straight home games to start a year. It's wild. That tells you already that we're going through something now that we haven't gone through in a generation. So it's already a different year. You're already a different team. You already have something that you're just not used to having around here. The coaches have to realize that. And I think the sooner that they realize it, the better off we will all be. They have to kind of lead it by example here and get these guys to literally take it. One game, one snap, one play, one diagram, you know, at a time and have some success with that and then move on to the next thing. So while they're doing that for Mac Jones and some of the others, they really have to do that for the entire team. Want to wrap up with a couple of league-wide questions. Who's your MVP at this point? I, I I have Kyler Murray, but you know you could make a case for any number of quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers, you know, is part of that conversation as well. Who who is your MVP six weeks into the season? I mean, I don't know how you can pick anybody but Kyler Murray right now, based on the way that the Cardinals have started out. I mean, what are they six and zero for the the second time in franchise history? Mm-hmm. You know, and then we're going back to what the St. Louis Cardinal days. You know, so I mean, um, I, I would have to favor him. Although I got to tell you, a couple of other quarterbacks that you know I think are uh, you know really playing well. Uh, and, and, and one of them, if, if they had beaten Tennessee the other night, I, I certainly would have, you know, leaned, you know, Buffalo's uh, way. Um, I certainly could take a look at the Chargers, you know, uh, you know, with their young quarterback. I just there. But to somebody who actually means a difference between wins and losses, would Arizona be six and oh without a guy like Murray running around like a chicken with his head cut off in the backfield? And the answer to that is there's no freaking way. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, MVP is the obvious player 
that makes his team better. And I think in this case, Kyler Murray is not only that player, but he's probably also the most valuable as well because he's just having a phenomenal year. So he's probably a little bit of both. You could have an offensive MVP and a, and a league MVP be two separate people, um, you know, player of the year or whatever, just based on the team's fortunes. But I don't know that Arizona is that kind of team without the way he's running around back there and showing everybody that, you know, it's, he plays with a chip on his shoulder, doesn't he? he does. Yeah, yeah, he really I mean, does. I mean, he's five foot eleven and a half, really. Maybe. I mean, is he even Russell Wilson size? No, and he's, yeah. he's. I mean, but that means nothing to him because of his athleticism. So he's he's a lot of fun to watch. I admit, I I found myself watching a couple of Cardinal games or certainly highlights because I want to see what Kyler Murray's doing. He and is. The guy, he's, he's to, the guy went to Oklahoma for Christ's sakes. <laughs> Christmas. I, I know you're saying all this great stuff about a guy who went to Oklahoma, and we got it on <laughs> tape too. That's the great thing. That's the great I thing. I, I, I have to imagine here also, too, we're talking about Kyler Murray. For me, the, the, the best teams in the league, maybe Thursday night or Monday night aside, I still like Buffalo an awful lot. I, I just I, I think they just got steamrolled by Derrick Henry. I think you could take Derrick Henry out of the mix and Buffalo wins that game. It's neither here nor there. And maybe, maybe Henry's yeah. part of the MVP conversation as well. But you look well, at Buffalo, you look at Arizona – and that kind of starts the list, at least for me right now, if you're looking at the best teams. Maybe throw the Rams into the mix as well, Tampa Bay. Who Who is, you know, if you had a top three at this point in the season, we're six weeks in, there's a lot of football left to be played, obviously, but six weeks in, give me your two or three favorite teams that, you know, have a shot at ending up in the Super Bowl. Well, I still like Buffalo in the AFC. Um, you know, I think Josh Allen is a superstar or he's if he's not a superstar, he's going to be one very quickly in the NFC. It starts with Brady and the Bucks, But I also think that the Rams are very good. And I got to tell you, that Cowboy team that the Patriots played this last week and Chris, I'm real impressed with if they could ever figure out a way to um cover somebody in that defensive backfield, <laughs> then, you know, I think the Cowboys could be a real problem you know, for, 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 uh, you know, for the past happy teams in the NFC. And, and let's add another name to that MVP mix, Jack Prescott. Why not? Yeah. Especially, especially coming off that horrific ankle injury he had last year. I mean, what he's doing, he was untouchable Sunday. The Patriots are a decent rushing, a decent pass rushing team and they couldn't touch him. Mm -hmm. So the Cowboy offensive line is phenomenal. And maybe Dallas wins, you know, 35 to 28 or 35 to 24, all the games. But you know what? Seems to me that, the, you know, fans in, in the media have said that about the Patriots in the past, too, when the Patriots have had Super Bowl caliber teams. So I actually, for the first time in a long time, think that Dallas might have something this year. Um, so I'd say Dallas, L.A., uh, Tampa, Buffalo. I'd be honest, I'm not sure anybody else in the AFC really floats my boat. I think Kansas City looking vulnerable. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sold on Denver. I'm not certainly not sold on Cleveland. Um, I'm not sure that there's anybody else other than Buffalo, Kansas City. It feels like the AFC feels like it's the Bills for the taking this year because, as you yeah. mentioned, Kansas City is kind of – they've struggled, really, for them to this point yeah, in the yeah. season. And maybe they're going to get it together. And, look, we've seen Andy Reid – you know, kind of mount that late season charge with yeah. a lot of teams over the course of his career. You you figure they're going to be heard from at least at some point, but this certainly appears to be a golden opportunity for the Bills, at least as we yeah. sit here right now. Yeah, I'm 100% behind that. I think I think the AFC is the Bills to lose. Yeah, yeah. Well, well John, tell people where they can find you on social media and where they can hear you. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, if you look really hard, <laughs> um, my, my Twitter handle is at JR Broadcaster, or as uh, uh, some people like to say, junior broadcaster for a senior <laughs> guy. But uh, JR Broadcaster, where I am on Twitter, uh, we do the, um, you know, we do the Patriots Playbook um, live radio show and podcast on Thursdays on Patriots.com. Uh, on the team website and on their, their radio channel. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, I also do some things for full press coverage, write a couple of columns a week for them. Uh, you know, I've also got a, another piece on weei.com that I do every week, you know, for, uh, you know, primarily the, the, the Southern new England audience. So, uh, you know, we're out there and about there and, and, and trying to stay relevant. And then of course, you know, uh, this is my third, yeah, 30th season. God, I lost track 30th season behind the microphone at Gillette. Uh, it's been pretty unique, uh, but it, it, it seems like it was yesterday when we got it all started too. Mm -hmm. So it's been a pretty quick 30 years, to be quite honest with you. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Thank, thanks again, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. This is awesome. Hopefully we can hook it up again down the road later in the season, but thanks again for coming on as one of my favorite guests. You're a great guy, great person, great <laughs> follow on Twitter and the, some of the best pipes that you're ever going to hear across <laughs> at the very least across new England. One of my favorite guys from Texas too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thanks again, John. Take care, man. It's my pleasure. Anytime, Chris. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.